0: Visit carp.ca.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's the nightmare scenario for anyone with a loved one in a nursing home. An 86 year old man was savagely beaten by another resident with dementia at his long-term care home in Dundas. What happened and could it have been prevented? We speak with the victim's daughter. And how to find true meaning in life. But first, hear your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Britain has granted posthumous pardons to more than 50,000 gay men who were convicted under historical legislation that outlawed homosexual acts. That includes playwright Oscar Wilde, who was convicted of gross indecency in 1895 and sentenced to two years of hard labor. The new law is named for Alan Turing, the computer engineer and World War II codebreaker who was convicted of committing homosexual acts in 1952 and consented to chemical castration. He died by suicide two years later. The law will also allow 15,000 living men to apply for a pardon. High drug costs are preventing older Canadians from filling their prescriptions. That according to a new study from the University of British Columbia that compared older adults in 11 high-income countries. It found that Canadians over the age of 55 were second most likely to skip out on drug refills. Among those countries with publicly funded health systems, Canada is the only one without prescription drug coverage. Oprah Winfrey can add 60 Minutes correspondent to her already long resume. The 63-year-old TV celebrity will be an occasional contributor to the CBS News magazine show when it goes into production on its 50th season this fall. Oprah says her goal on 60 Minutes is to look at what separates us and help facilitate real conversations between people from different backgrounds. Legendary singer-songwriter Sarah McLachlan is joining the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. The 49-year-old McLachlan will be honoured with a tribute during the Juno Awards on April 2nd. The singer-songwriter has won 10 Junos and 3 Grammys for her work and was the founder of the Lilith Fair, a female-centric summer concert tour that gave many women a platform for their work in the late 90s. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Imagine putting a loved one in a long-term care home, in part for their own safety, only to find they've been badly injured, assaulted by another resident. That's the hell that Tammy Carbino woke up to when she learned her 86-year-old father, James Acker, who suffers from dementia, was savagely beaten in his sleep, by another resident who just walked into his room in the middle of the night. Tammy has no doubt this terrible attack could have been prevented.
3: I'm shocked. I'm enraged. I'm heartbroken for my father. So tell me, how did you
2: find out exactly what happened?
3: So we were actually notified at 2.30 a.m. after the incident by the nurse. Um, who was on staff. So after he found my father, we were notified. However, the home, no one from St. Joseph's Villa had followed up with us until two days later, which I find shocking that no one would have called to see how my father is, given that he was brutally beaten and is laying in a hospital room and has bleeding in his brain.
2: Oh, my God. When this was reported to you, Mm-hmm. by the nurse. Um, mm-hmm. Did they know who the perpetrator was?
3: Yes. Yes, they did. They knew right away who he was.
2: And how did they know?
3: So Libby, the report that we've received is just that my father was found wandering. It appeared as though he had, um, had experienced a severe attack from another resident. The resident was named in the report, but The home actually called my mother yesterday and told us that two PSWs watched the resident enter my father's room at 2 a.m. and leave my father's room. So, why are there not safety nets in place for these residents to be protected? from themselves, and from one another.
2: Are there going to be charges against this resident? Have the police been
3: involved at all? The the police have investigated. Forensic was there. Many pictures being taken. And they have said because this resident is a dependent with dementia, he cannot be charged. And they've told us to contact the lawyer that our fight is with the home. The home did not protect my father, and that is their responsibility. That's their number one responsibility.
2: Since we first started covering the story on Fight Back on Wednesday, the police agreed to reinvestigate with a view to perhaps pressing charges. Meanwhile, the home was in touch with the family, and they gave a different version of the story of what the staff were doing when the attack was taking place, you had a meeting at the home yesterday. Tell us what happened.
3: We did. So, we got the full report from um, St. Joseph's Villa Internal Investigation that they did. And I can tell you that story now because it's very different from the report that we were originally given by um, the RNP that was on staff that evening. So my father, apparently two PSWs were um, on staff and one r um, There was one PSW down the hall where my father's bedroom is, where the resident left his room. The PSW saw the resident leave his own room, called out to him. The resident didn't respond. The PSW saw the resident enter my father's room. She followed him. She was. They said about five steps behind. Um, When she entered the room, she saw him beating my dad. She called out to him, screamed. She went out into the hallway and screamed for help to the other PSW who then ran to assist her. They were screaming and yelling. Um, The resident continued to beat my father. And then suddenly, I guess, after so many yells and screams, he turned around and He began to chase the two PSWs. Then he went into another room. He went to attack another resident. um, And at that time, the RNP came and was able to redirect him.
2: Are you going to send your father back there?
3: We are, we sort of, well, we don't have so many options, unfortunately. That's the situation most people are in. Yeah, yeah, this is the problem, that there's a limited amount of beds. Both my mother and I do not feel that we will ever feel like my father's safe there again, obviously. So we'd like to have him transferred somewhere else, and the home did promise. um, Derek Bernardo promised that they would help advocate on our behalf and, 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 you know, help us with that and help us get him into the home that we choose what do you hope happens next? I want change I want change. The health care system has to change. This is absolutely ridiculous and absurd. I can't even believe I'm in shock that we're having this conversation.
2: That was Tammy Carbino, the daughter of James Acker, who was assaulted at St. Joseph's Villa Long-Term Care Home in Dundas, Ontario. As a follow-up to this story, the Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care has inspected St. Joseph's Villa, but no word on what, if any, action has or will be taken. We'll follow up on this story in an upcoming edition of The Zoomer. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is The Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break and then return to talk about one of the age-old questions, how to find meaning in life.
0: You're listening to The Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. It's something most of us give more
2: thought to as we age. How to find true meaning in life. Author Emily Isfahani-Smith says our frenetic pursuit of happiness can get in the way, and her new book offers some insights into crafting a life that matters. She dropped by our studios to talk about The Power of Meaning. I think
4: that our culture is obsessed with happiness and pushing this message that a good life is a happy life and that if you're not happy, that somehow your life is deficient in some way. But I remember several years ago, as I was reflecting on that message, I realized that there were all kinds of people in my life who weren't necessarily happy or chasing happiness, but who were doing valuable things with their time and with their lives, whose lives were, in other words, meaningful. And that's kind of what sparked me to write this book. You're saying that the
2: pursuit of happiness prevents happiness.
4: Exactly. So social scientists have found that when people pursue happiness deliberately or when they value it obsessively the way our culture encourages us to, that they both become unhappier and that they actually can feel lonelier too and more socially isolated.
2: And why is that?
4: I think there's a number of reasons. I think first, it's a matter of expectation. So when you're constantly receiving the message that you're supposed to be happy and that life will be great if you're happy, then you expect to be happy. And you think that there's something wrong with you if you're not happy, when in fact, happiness is just an emotion that comes and goes. And it's perfectly normal to not feel happy all the time, to even feel negative emotions. And the other thing is that happiness is a byproduct. So it's a byproduct product of doing meaningful activities and and not just pursuing happiness for its own sake. The Holocaust uh, survivor, Viktor Frankl, said that it's the very pursuit of happiness that thwarts happiness, that happiness is something that should ensue
2: from meaningful endeavors. There are a lot of people who write about happiness. Mm -hmm. It's practically a cottage industry, but one of the things they usually say is that having meaning or purpose brings happiness. That's right, but
4: I think that people who pursue meaning and purpose pursue those things for their own sake. So I think that if you pursue meaning and purpose, hoping that you'll be happier at the end of the day, that's kind of missing the point that you should pursue meaning and purpose just because that's the right way to live your life. A meaningful life is about connecting and contributing to others, and that's what will ultimately bring us a greater sense of satisfaction.
2: So the subtitle of your book is Crafting a Life That Matters. So how do we do that?
4: These four themes came up again and again as the pillars of meaning. The first one is a sense of belonging. The second one is a sense of purpose. The third one is storytelling. And the fourth one is transcendence.
2: Are there certain cultures where that's
4: easier? I think in cultures where religion is still central, people have kind of clear answers to how to lead a meaningful life. Whereas in developed cultures, in Western secular cultures, we have to figure it out on our own, and that's a little bit more of a challenge. It's, a, it's the same story with purpose. We think of purpose as this grand pursuit that you have to cure cancer or eradicate poverty in order to lead a capital P purposeful life. But really, you can also find purpose by being a good parent or being a kind colleague or by contributing to others in some way. So I kind of – I want to bring meaning down to earth so that all these people who are struggling to find meaning can discover that it's right here at their fingertips regardless of whether they're religious or not. So –
2: How do we find more meaning?
4: I think that it begins by realizing that meaning is about connecting and contributing to something that's bigger than you are alone. And the thing I like to tell people is if you're struggling to find meaning in your life, start by asking yourself, what's one thing I can do today to contribute to someone, to make someone's life better? And then go and do that thing, whatever it may be.
2: Okay. Emily, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Emily Esfahani-Smith, author of The Power of Meaning. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. When we return, we celebrate one of the first voices of Motown, who turned 76 today.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca.
2: Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook, tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown.
1: Off the coast of the Canary Islands, underwater in the Atlantic Ocean, there's a special museum with 12 installations. Curator Jason Taylor hopes to highlight climate change and migration.
3: Part of it is also about showing how fragile humanity really is. And by sort of placing these mainly figurative works in this vast body of water and seeing how they're engulfed by the sea, I hope kind of conveys that message.
1: Taylor adds it's fascinating how light colors and textures change underwater. In New York City, Matthew Broderick stars in a stage production about the cast and crew of a Broadway flop that gets together for drinks after a totalitarian regime has banned live performance. Evening at the Talk House is in previews at the Romulus Linney Courtyard Theater. In Las Vegas... Do we vote for a bitter female android from the 90s or a riverboat gambler with a big tummy and an orange head? Former Saturday Night Live stars Dana Carvey and John Lovitz have teamed up for a new show called Reunited. And Bluefin by PEI filmmaker John Hopkins makes its U.S. debut at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. The award-winning documentary has been selected in the social justice category. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook.
2: American singer-songwriter Barrett Strong was born on this day in 1941. In 1959, he was among the first artists signed to Barry Gordy's Tamla record label. That same year, he released the song he is best known for, Money, That's What I Want. Ironically, the song earned Barry Gordy enough money to go on and start Motown Records. Barrett Strong stuck with Barry Gordy, and by the mid-60s, he had become a Motown writer, teaming with producer Norman Whitfield. Together, they wrote some of the label's biggest hits, including I Heard It Through the Grapevine, Just My Imagination, War, Ball of Confusion, I Can't Get Next to You, and Papa Was a Rolling Stone. Today, Barrett Strong is celebrating his 76th birthday. Right now, we'll go back to 1959 and hear the song that helped define his career. Here is Money, That's What I Want. That's Barrett Strong with his 1959 hit song, Money, That's What I Want. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Thanks for joining me today. Please come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide.
0: You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Zneimer. Produced by Dave Woodard, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy.